I'm delighted to welcome today Lindsay Edwards. She is a graduate student in the Middle Eastern Studies Department at the American University in Cairo. She's also the international student representative in the University Senate and on the Student Affairs Committee. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Lindsay, what has been your experience in Egypt since you've been there roughly a year and a half going on two years prior to the pandemic and now in the midst of this once in a century catastrophe and potential recovery? I'm curious what your experience was and whether it has changed much since the pandemic. Well, prior to the pandemic, obviously, I would take the bus from my apartment all the way to the campus in New Cairo. And it was a lot more interactive, of course. We had a lot more field trips going into the city, looking at historical sites and this and that. Um, and I do miss that. But um, after the pandemic started to really happen and spread, I, uh, we had to, of course, go into remote learning. But I still am able to really um, travel around the city and um, I still get a lot of support from AUC and they still promote different programs that like uh, help us to learn more about Egypt and its culture at the same time. So it's been I, I miss traveling. I hope to do some. During but the but traveling is not prohibited in the sense that that there still is activity. There still are congregations of people. Um, but of course, for your own safety and health protocol, it would not be advisable. But to what extent is activity ongoing? And if you with some restrictions? Uh, yes, traveling is not prohibited. Um, me personally, uh, I get worried because I do have a roommate and I worry about both of our health at the same time. So whenever I go out, I always wear my mask and I'm kind of very conscious about um, being able to spread or contract COVID either way, um, which is really why I haven't been traveling as much as I did prior to the pandemic actually happening. But I do know some other students who have been traveling. They went to Dahab and Alexandria and had a lovely time and didn't contract anything. So I think it really just depends on how careful one is when traveling that makes the um, experience more uh, safe. You were already prepared for an, a process of acclimation coming from the University of Arkansas where you did your undergraduate studies. But for this to transpire, for you to make this cultural immersion and then have the pandemic strike, it, it, it is a, a real uh, source of acclimation and adjustment. Um, but you've managed and to continue your studies and experience as fully as possible life in Egypt. What has been your perspective getting your studies at American University? Um, well, whenever I first arrived, I was quite nervous, obviously. Yeah, I've lived my entire life in Arkansas. It was a completely different climate, a huge city where the town I grew up in was very, very small. Having to use public transportation <laughs> was something new. I think um, whenever I arrived, I kind of thought that I would be a bit more um, shy and kind of reserved in my approach to Egyptian people. But everyone here is so friendly and kind and, and truly welcoming that uh, it really brought me out of my shell and I was able to experience a lot more than I thought I would have. And it's been a really 
surprisingly uh, peaceful transition and adjustment from my life in Arkansas to my life here in Cairo. And thinking about scholastically, academically, intellectually, what you were hoping to achieve in the studies of uh, Middle Eastern history and politics, um, what was your initial goal in pursuing that advanced degree and and has it at all changed in terms of how you hope to apply that? I was coming to Cairo. I was planning on using my Middle Eastern um, Masters, Middle Eastern Studies Masters as a way to um, approach the anthropology field because with the department there are many different little subsections and that was the one I was initially going for but as I came here and I took more and more classes I became more interested in the political side of it but what I like uh, about the school in general and about the department in general is that although we're all in the Middle Eastern Studies program everybody is coming in from different backgrounds and so whenever we come together to talk about an issue we all have different perspectives and it really allows for uh, the student to really learn new perspectives, expand their knowledge, and look at the situation from different points of views. As the one of the leaders in your representative body governing the students, what are some of the central issues of concern to the student body, especially as it relates to any intersection between the campus life and the country itself and the city itself? Well, I think in terms of the international students, most um, international students that I meet whenever they first come to Egypt are concerned with how to get to the school, um, how to get into the city, especially if they're living on the dorms in New Cairo. Um, And I find that they're quite concerned with um, general day-to-day activities, where to buy groceries, how to dress, this type of thing. But I find that um, the university itself has been really uh, responsive to those concerns. And if there's a question, then they answer it very directly, telling us that this is how you can take the bus to school. This is how you can go and get groceries. This is where you can buy certain things because it's very different, I think, especially for Americans coming to um Cairo, where, you know, we can't just go into one store and buy everything that we need and all these different shops sell very specific things. So I think that that was mainly the concern is is the adjustment more so. The the adjustment, but what about the real practical reality that your president identified in our recent interview with him, that there, there is a difference in freedom of expression and the engagement of life within the confines uh, or bubble of the university and the realities outside of that island of expression. I do think that there is this disconnect and um, I think the school really does prep the students in realizing that there are certain things that you can do on campus that you shouldn't really be doing in the cities. Um, There's lots of concerns with uh, if you're doing interviews for research, for example, this is something you have to go through the university to um, be approved of because there have been issues with that in the past where you uh, have to be very careful coming up to people, especially in, in the city where the police can stop you and 
ask what what are you filming for what are you taking pictures of this type of thing and even in like um some of the smaller cities in Luxor and Aswan for example I experienced um a little bit of this as well where there was tension in taking pictures of certain government places and expressing um your opinion it can be not dangerous but you can definitely feel that tension though i've personally never had any too big of a problem with it but i also don't conduct uh interviews as part of my research so i can see where this would be a concern for students who um use that approach how much of is gender um the relationship between men and women and specifically historically repression of women how much of that is a factor in the disconnect itself i do think that uh gender is definitely a concern in that disconnect because um there are certain ways of approaching the lifestyle that uh, have been altered due to gender um for example um i was told to sit in the back seat of an uber uh <laughs> as a woman i shouldn't be sitting in the front seat though i don't think that that's you know a, a definite rule it's more like a cultural rule but also there's um there is a little bit of street harassment that's something that's kind of different that i experienced and um there's just a different way of uh, presenting yourself looking confident as you walk um in order to kind of avoid that harassment that's still there and there are certain things that women whenever they uh whenever women do certain things they do kind of get stares from men <laughs> in kind of an unusual way like uh i have a friend who smokes cigarettes and whenever she smokes cigarettes old men will stop and stare at her on the street like why are you smoking you're a woman you're not supposed to be smoking so it is kind of a factor in that but I don't think it's so much so that it really uh it prohibits someone from experiencing the culture in a positive light. I think you're suggesting it is casual, but of course there are elements of it that are much more uh problematic uh and and potentially criminal as has been reported in the case of, you know, instances of sexual harassment. and sex crimes and um the the question as it relates to your studies of middle eastern history um what do you find to be most helpful in understanding either the history or politics of the region um that can help your generation this next generation in its pursuit of diplomacy to secure the blessings of freedom so that whether it is the more casual or more formal um subjugation of women or abuse of human rights that your studies specifically of of religion of history of politics can help transcend this current moment which is very much still a moment where human rights are not fully secured i find that people in my field who um study especially contemporary politics will find that um through the promotion of human rights 
and uh, women's rights in particular, although there has been a, a, a historical legacy, I think that's followed every country in the Middle East from and, and into modern times um, about this uh, disconnect between women and society. I think that it has been something that's been improving. And I think that people who are my age who are going into this field really want to continue to promote that through um, promoting women who are successful in politics, putting more women into politics um, and, and really uh, engaging in their influence and supporting women in the country itself in order to really um, start securing those human rights for women. Um, I, I, I think that this is the way that we're trying to approach it. I think it's something that needs to be done gently and um, with lots of patience because this is a cultural shift that's ongoing. And um, through the last few decades, I think you can really see an improvement in um, women really starting to stand up for their rights, especially after the Arab Spring in Egypt. So this is kind of my point of view for it. But uh, I think <laughs> I would have to look into the subject a lot more to give a more definite answer. It's a fair answer, but it's also underscoring the fact that there has been a slow pace at which there has been reform over this last period when the Arab Spring was in its inception intent on or aspired to um, bring in a fully empowered civil society. Um, the, the history was not so specific to women's rights. It was about people's liberation from authoritarianism or autocratic regimes. But you, you say it has to be handled gently. And I'm wondering if there's anything in your studies that gives us a guide on how it can be handled maybe more expeditiously, because it seems like the drumbeat here is a very slow one and a very far cry from the kind of advanced pursuit of social justice or equity uh, that you've seen at different points in the history of the United States, for instance. It was, it was a slow process. The, the, the status quo, the contemporary norms, uh, where there is more receptiveness to equality, the substantiation of that or the justification of that equality is what? Is it, is it uh, secular? Is it religious? Is it a fusion of the two? But when, when you have conversations with people in Egypt who are receptive to that kind of reform and inclusion, what is leading them to that conviction? Well, I think that um, as for the slow pace at which uh, he, uh, women are really demanding their rights. Also, it has to do with a number of different issues going on in the Middle East right now, especially the economic issues and um, further political issues and um, problems with uh, being able to voice opinions about anything really uh, that has really slowed that pace for women in particular and especially do find or at least I've found that there are lots of people especially the younger generation who really want to continue to push for these rights um, for everybody for women um, for uh, 
children, I guess, <laughs> for everybody, you know, they, they want that. And I think it's just kind of difficult for them to really express that because of the ongoing situation with the government. And this is true for most Middle Eastern countries. Do you attribute that to more geopolitical realities in the sort of neighboring landscape? Um, or do you attribute it to internal dynamics within Egypt and other countries and specifically the way in which, um, you know, theology um, continues to play a formidable role in uh, potentially um, stymieing the progress of, of women? Um, because, of course, each country and regime is different. But do you think it's more of a of a question about geopolitical stability or is it more a question about norms in the household? I believe it's a combination of both, really. I think controlling women is a sense of just control that authoritarian regimes have over half of the population. I think it's, you know, um, partly that and partly due to uh, the traditional role of the woman uh, in, in society. Though, it's interesting because um, prior you had a lot of instances of women who took on more masculine roles, especially in the more rural areas of the Middle East, because there was a necessity for women to go about doing that role, you know, um, helping farm and, and things like that, things that the household really needed. So it was a lot more equal in that time. And I think that, you know, um, in the mid 20th century, you really started to see a shift that was putting more pressure on the women to take on even a more feminine role that they had previously had. And I think that, you know, that's due to um, both uh, a rise in uh, more conservative uh, religion. And I think that that's also um, a combination of just governments in general really wanting to crack down on the population and control a much, as much of it as they can while giving them little rights along the way that makes it feel like pros progress, but in reality is not. With respect to any misconceptions from the American landscape about either life in Egypt or the Middle East broadly, and then specifically the, the, the sort of history of the last decade in that region, misconceptions that might be about the practice of uh, Islamic faith, um, the practice of Muslims, misconceptions about the economic situation in Egypt, misconceptions about um, specific um, origin stories in um, either Islam or in uh, Middle Eastern tradition. What would you most want to impart either from your academic study or your exposure on the streets of Cairo and in Egypt over these last months that would be helpful to correct any misconceptions that you might think are harbored even by educated people? Um, towards religion specifically? Either about the practice of religion or just the the kind of uh, historical mythologies that are misunderstood. Um, I, I, you could take it in whatever direction you want, but but I'm, I suppose there there are ample 
misconception. So, you know, either from the scholarship that is a misreading of something or something in the flesh that you see yourself every day that is a misconception and you see it differently. Well, I, I, I think in general, there are a ton of misconceptions that Americans have. You know, I get them every day from my friends and family back home asking the most ridiculous questions about uh, Islam, Egyptian society in general, the Middle East political world in general. Um, <laughs> I think um, one of the biggest misconceptions that I think people have about Egypt is um, basically how conservative the country really is. Whenever I first came to Egypt, I really expected it like, okay, I'm going to wear nothing but pants. I'm going to wear my long sleeve shirts and I have to be very respectful because of course I'm a guest in this country and I want to respect their culture as much as possible. But then I came here and there's women and like, like dresses that go up to the knees and bikinis on the beach and, <laughs> and, and, and everywhere I went, there's bars, there's clubs, there's all sorts of different things. It's such um, a combination, really, uh, a whole melting pot of different people. Like there are some conservative people, but then there's like people who are extremely liberal with blue hair just running through the street. It's honestly, it's one of the most things I love about Cairo especially is because you can see a woman in a red dress standing next to a woman with a niqab and, a, and her abaya. And, and I, I just find that so beautiful because it's really a blend of cultures. And that's one of the, I think the biggest misconceptions that people have is they think it's just this blanket conservatism when in reality, like every city in the world, there's varying degrees of it everywhere you go. Lindsay Edwards, a student at American University in Cairo, um, thank you so much for your insight today and for your leadership uh, as an American abroad. I uh, wish you all the best with your continued graduate studies at the university. Thank you so much. <laughs>